Okay, well, yeah, but I'm not like, the old spy of the campfire, yeah. Well, it's a bloke who wrote a song about me. Yes, Oh man, would that hurt? I did. Get out to me, an alcoholic. No, that would hurt. And uh, yeah, my name is Duncan, and anonymous sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous these days. And uh, that's been a miracle for me because uh, I never knew I had a problem with a drink. You know, it always made me feel good, and. I always, yeah, I always liked the after effect and uh, the next morning. You know, um, I had my first drink at 17 as a young Nasho kid in the army out at the Wagga Wagga Army Barracks at Kapuka. And uh, one of the blokes he took me up to the, uh, what they call the wet canteen, and I'd never been in one. And I didn't know how a drink affected a bloke or uh, if it would kill him or not or send him nuts or it just made him happy. I had no idea. So I followed this bloke in his hand was George. And he's about 34 and a, a teacher got called up for, for Nacho as well. And anyway, I just sat and watched him at the bar and the woman came over and she said, yeah, g'day, what would you like? And uh, he said, oh, g'day, love, I'd scan her on you, please. And he put two bob on the counter. And while she's pouring him a drink, she looked at me and, how about you, young? I said, oh, g'day, love, I'll have a schooner on you too. And I put me two bob on the counter and she said, don't call me love, you're too, you're too young. You know, and I sort of shrunk down to my normal size. And uh, anyway, I'm still pondering the ponderables of what this uh, thing called booze would do to a fella. And anyway, Jewish picks it up and looked at it and had a nice little white, you know, hard race collar on it. And um, he took a sniff of it and went, hmm. And then he took down a big swallow, about half a half a schooner went down his throat, and he put it on the bar, and he turned around and went, well, and you can see him visibly relax. I thought, well, it didn't kill him. Makes him feel good, apparently. So I ended up, you know, I grabbed mine from the lady, put it over the bar to me, and I picked mine up. I copycatted him, you know, monkey see, monkey do, and I looked at it, and up at the light, and sniffed it, and took my half, half of a glass schooner, um, swig and down it went. Boom! Wow! You know, it's like a double atomic explosion in one. One in the guts and one in the head. And the after effect, the shock wave up and down the body was like the tidal wave coming in and out, coming in and out, waving up and down. All of a sudden, it settled. And, oh, did I feel good. Oh, I felt good right in the middle of my guts. I felt good. I've never felt so good, you know. I found out in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous a bit later on but uh, it doesn't matter who you are or what type of family life you had growing up. I mean, I've known people in AA who've uh, come from good family Christian homes and they turned out to be the only alcoholic. And, well, my parents were good people, but my older brothers or sisters, well, they were the alcoholics. And uh, I had two younger sisters and, you know, as it turns out, six of us were actually alcoholics. And my two youngest sisters, no. I mean, what parents really would want to have any child as an alcoholic? Let those six of them out of eight. And anyway, that was, it was not a nice home a lot of the times, especially if mum and dad weren't in the house. It was not pretty. And, uh, yeah, I could feel the mood swings in my older brother and sisters, you know, about 10 seconds before they were having one. And, yeah, it was time to duck out and hide or go somewhere. And, uh, so, you know, I found out that it doesn't matter what family life you've had growing up, it's what does the effect of a drink have upon you? It doesn't matter how many drinks you have. You can have 10 or one. What effect does it have? And I heard in AA, uh, 
that some people hated the taste but loved the effect, and others loved the effect and not the taste, and vice versa. Well, me, I like both the effect and the taste. Now, it didn't matter whether it was a beer or a wine or a whiskey or a brandy or a rum or a cocktail, port, a tiny port. Uh, it didn't matter because it, it all worked for me. It made me feel good. You know, and I had my first drink in the army, as I said, at the age of 17. And, uh, wow, amazing. You know, the next, that night when I had that first drink, it was as if the genie had come out of a bottle, you know. I was, my feet were firmly planted in that room, but my, my legs, my hips and my body, my head were about 50 feet above that building. And I could look down in there and I, I knew I had the power to grant everybody three wishes. That's how good it made me feel. I've never felt that strong before. That good. It's an amazing effect. And every time I had a drink, I had that effect, and it always made me feel good. The unfortunate thing about that is, now that I'm in AA, was that that only happens to a person if you're an alcoholic. It doesn't happen to the average drinker. Or the, or the person who has a drink one night a week with their meal. It's like, what? Anyway, I had a lot to learn. And, uh, yeah, my drinking started, as I said, in the Army, and it lasted for 23 years. But along the way, uh, there was three marriages, three divorces, three times suicide, three times dead, three times the hospital doctors and nurses called me back to life when I, when I didn't want to be alive, and three times in prison. Now, I'm... How did I get into the rooms of AA? Well, I ended up in prison, didn't I? The third time round. That was in September 92. 31 years of it now. And uh, one of the blokes out of the crimson side said, what are you doing tonight? I said, getting locked down as usual. He said, well, how about signing a recreation book? Because a few of us are going to be up in the recreation room and we're going to have a chat and you know, plenty of tea and coffee and biscuits to be had. And I went, oh, yeah, great company, you know. No worries, I'll be there. Anyway, I walked up to the guardhouse at the end of the yard and spoke to the bloke in, 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 the, in the office. And I said, look, can you, I want to sign the uh, recreation book for tonight. He goes, why? I said, oh, just want to see what's happening. He goes, well, you don't have a drinking problem, do you? I went, no. He said, well, don't worry about it. He said, you're not an alcoholic, eh? And I said, no. Didn't know what one was anyway, but I said, no. He said, well, don't worry about it. You'll be right. And I thought, why is he trying to put me off? That's it. I said, look, I want to go. Maybe I'll learn something that might help me. Anyway, he let me sign the book and that night, about seven-ish, um, you know, he came around and opened up me cell door and walked me up to the recreation room and there was this bunch of about plenty 25 blokes there all hanging around and you know chairs and stuff and then at the end of the room there was this bloke sitting in a chair behind a desk and on the wall was a couple of banners and I'm thinking what on earth is this and I thought what type of a place has got banners in it and I'm thinking boy scouts you know, and I think, oh, these guys must be all ex-Boy Scouts leaders who went astray. And they're trying to reclaim their their position, you know, get a few merit badges back up again. Anyway, I uh, I didn't pay much attention there for a while. And 
kept on going backwards and forwards for a coffee and more biscuits and I'm sticking biscuits in my pockets and two in the hand and two in the mouth and swinging a coffee and I wasn't really paying much attention until suddenly I heard a bloke say, you know, as much as I like to have a drink, what I really wanted is to be left alone so I can drink the way I want. And I, wow, I've thought of that before. And another bloke turned up and they had us talk and he said, you know, he wanted to just get away from everyone. You know, and on a deserted island like Robinson Crusoe or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it was amazing. But I'm thinking, yes, I've had that. And another bloke wanted to be invisible so he could go into a pub and just sit quietly in the corner and drink his grog and not be bothered and don't have to pay for it. And I thought, I wanted that myself. And, like, I mean, these guys are totally different from me. They never had the same home life. They never went to the same schools where I got bullied to. You know, there were so many differences. I thought, how come I'm agreeing with these people? And uh, then I realised somewhere along the line that I'd heard enough of these stories, but some of them weren't as bad as me, and some of them were way worse than me. And I thought, but we're all nuts. And then I looked up at those banners on the wall again. The left-hand one said the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the other one said the 12 Traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought, the problem. Alcohol. Stop drinking and you won't have to end up in prison all the time. Well, my problem isn't me drinking, it's me thinking. I'm nuts. Because in step two, it said, uh, what I said, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, but our lives had become unmanageable. Well, my life was never unmanageable. It was unbearable. That's what I knew. I mean, when I looked at step two, it said, came to believe with a power greater than yourselves could restore us to sanity. I thought, that's me, I'm insane. I can't stop getting into trouble. Now, how, now, I mean, I've always been a good guy, so I thought, and good worker and a good boss and everything else like that, but how come I'm in trouble on third marriage and three suicides and now three times in prison? It's like, how do we end up like a year? Anyway, at the end of the meeting, the blokes, we all rushed over to the urn and hot water urn and uh, grabbing our coffees and our biscuits. And the bloke who was running the meeting, Tom, uh, he said, what do you reckon? And before I could uh, say anything real clever, I said, mate, you got me sold. I'm one of you, whatever that is. And he said to me something absolutely miraculous. He said, I'm an alcoholic who suffered from the disease of alcoholism and now I'm free. And yet all I heard was, there's an alcoholic who is suffering from a disease. And I thought, that's my problem. Do you know what? It answered all my problems. I'm a puppet to this disease. You call it alcoholism. I thought, oh, I, mean, I didn't know what the term meant anyway. And uh, he said, do you like to read? And I'm thinking, yes, mad magazines and phantom comics, you know, really light literature. And he walks over to this desk where he'd been sitting and bringing this book over, which turns out to be a copy of the big book that they had there all the time. And he said, good, yeah, it's yours. I said, what? He said, yeah, yours, you have it. And you know what? I've still got that same big book 31 years later. And um, yeah, I fell in love with AA and I fell in love with the answers. You know, a bloke came in one week and said, uh, you know, my sponsors helped me out with this and with that, and my sponsor helped me out to understand this, and he took me through the steps, and 
they introduced me to God and everything else. I was thinking, ah, but I couldn't deny the fact that he was different. And I thought, okay. I mean, I didn't know what a sponsor was. I'm thinking Nike, Schlesinger, Carlton United Breweries, World Health Organization. I thought, none of those big agencies are going to sponsor me out of prison, not with my track record. And uh, I thought, that's it. I've got to get myself one of these things. And you know what? That word hope started creeping in, and I hated it. Because the word hope meant I'd have to come out and try one more time. I didn't have it in me. I really didn't. And, boy, that was hard. That was hard. Anyway, about... A week before I was due to get out, at the end of those four months, uh, I asked one of the uh, inmates uh, who, who was on day release from time to time, he said, I said, can you go and talk to Stephen? I want to meet him when I get out, and uh, I want him to be my sponsor. So he did. He said he would, and that was on a Monday. The Friday he came back and said, uh, yeah, Steve's going to meet you when you get out. You'll be fine. And then a couple of months later, one of the other prisoners came up and said, what are you going to do on the outside from now, Dunk? And I went, I'm going to do time on the outside from now on. I'll never do time on the inside again. Do you know what? I wasn't me saying it. I actually believed it. That's that's the strength of this fellowship about Alcohol Anonymous. It gives you the answers and you can't help fall in love with it and believe it. Right? It's just amazing and it works. It absolutely works. And Anyway, uh, yeah, and I got out and Steve met me, at, you know, about five minutes after, well, not even five minutes, about a minute after I got out and he asked me three pertinent questions. I was only about 30, 40 feet from the prison gates. He said, I believe you've got a question to ask me, you know, what is it that I've got that you want? And I went, oh, I didn't want to answer that question. And I thought, well, he's not gay and I'm not gay and he doesn't have a spooky girlfriend and he uh, doesn't have much cash cash because he's looking after a, a very sick father and he's trying to run the family business at the same time he's got a roof over his head he's got three square meals a day and he's got a spare room for me which I, I can have for as long as I like and then the penny drop what is it that he's got that I want anyway I told him and he goes fair enough okay where do you want to go from here and I thought give me a break you know you're really hard on me because I had a, a my third wife uh, had been beaten up and raped while I was in, in prison and I knew I had to go and find her up in Sydney and, uh, you know, see if this marriage could work. I was in desperate trouble to find her and help her out. And, but then the penny dropped again. What is he asking? And uh, I said, I want to do the steps. And he goes, wait, uh, give me a break, will you? Anyway, I said, now. He said, no, we're going to have uh, breakfast at another member's place. His name's Tom. And uh, we'll be there in a couple of minutes. We'll have breakfast with his wife and kids and uh you, you'll be okay you'll be okay and i tell you what you know what they did they treated me like a normal human being and i couldn't handle it could not handle it it was just oh terrible i felt lower than a snake's belly and i said to him afterwards i said that you ever spring something like that on me again or bloody walk Elliot. and uh yeah so after there we we drove over to this place which was across the other side of town and he sat down and opposite the, the coffee table in the lounge and he, he said uh, he took out the big book his copy and I took out mine and he said what do you think about God and I went oh I actually spewed you know I actually vomited this 
acidic taste rose up and the reflux rose up in my throat and I'm choking, it's coming out of my nose and out of my mouth and I'm crying. I said, don't ask me that question, you know. And uh, he opened up the big book and uh, gave me a chance to relax a bit and he, he opened up a, this other book they call the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions book and he's talking to me from different parts of that big book and different parts of this. He said, Dice, he goes, oh, yeah, you know, Tom, I don't think I'm talking to Tom over the road. Uh, where we just had breakfast? No. He said, look, Dunk, you think that uh, God can free you from a grip of its disease? And if he can, are you willing to ask him? Don't worry about how much pain and hurt and hatred you have towards him. Put that aside, and you think he has the power and the ability to free you from the drink. And if he does, are you going to ask him to help you? And, you know, it took me over an hour of debating and then backwards and forwards and crying and half choking. And, uh, he said, Dunk, what do you think? You think you can put all that stuff, the willing emotions aside and it's ask, answer the question, does he have the power and the ability to free you from the drink or does he not? If he does, are you prepared to ask him? And eventually I said, yes. And then we got straight into the rest of the steps. Step one, two, three, all the way through to 12. And you know what? It took me 40 hours to get through all that stuff with him. And I didn't stop. I was too scared to stop because I know if I stop, I don't start again. That's just the way I'm built. If I'm full on, I'm full on. If I'm not, I'm not. And, uh, and I wanted freedom from the grip of this disease so badly, I was prepared to go through whatever pain or hell I had to go through to, uh, to be free. And... Uh, you know, 40 hours later of talking and cakes and bit bits and coffees and sandwiches that he kept on feeding me with and whatever. And, uh, oh, man, what tears, buckets and buckets. And I did crying for the most, for at least five years, I was crying nearly every day in, in the rooms of AA. I just couldn't stop crying. It was just a lot of stuff just kept coming up and it kept on choking me. And I'd phone Miss Foster up and... Or I'd go around and see him, and uh, he helped me out, you know, to get through all that stuff. And there was a lot of crying involved, guilt and shame, remorse, and he helped me to get over those things. And you know what? I didn't even know how to forgive myself. And he said, Doug, learn how to forgive, learn how to forgive others in AA, and then in time you'll learn how to forgive yourself. Well, that took about seven years, but it worked. You know? and, uh, and I was able to make amends to my mum and dad. I was able to make amends to a couple of other old-time friends, but the rest, my ex-wives, kids don't want to know me, my brothers and sisters don't want to know me while they're drunks, and, you know, they don't like seeing me because I go to AA and it's working for me. So, you know, when they see me, they're looking in the mirror and going, well, if, if he's calling himself an alcoholic, what does that make me? And so, yeah, that's just the way it is because over these years, you know, I've had to learn how to pay back all the money I owed and, uh, that took 19 years, and finally all my debts were paid off, and my third marriage failed, unfortunately, and, uh, yeah, she, she, she was just a, an emotional cripple after what had happened to her, and uh, nothing, yeah, she was driven away from wanting anything to do with a man, let alone a husband who's been in prison, you know, and, uh, yeah, so, but one thing I've done right is stick with AA, and I've always had a sponsor, and my first sponsor, Steve, said, um, Wherever you go, get a sponsor. Wherever you go, get over it. Wherever you go, keep on doing 
you the best you can to come to believe in, in the power greater than yourself that you can call God. That's easy for you to handle. And um, you know what? That finally happened. It took about three and a half years for that. And today I can call God God, and it doesn't hurt me anymore. I'm not. I don't have reflux problems with it anymore, or my stomach churning anymore. And it's like that. It, that word God doesn't hurt me anymore. Now I'm. Uh, I, I've learned how to live again, and. Uh, he said, whatever you do in the next three to five years, don't have anything to do with sex, politics, and religion. And I thought, well, you know, two out of three is pretty good. And uh, one thing I didn't do is I didn't listen to him when he said, don't do any work for the first 12 months. And I did go to work. The other thing he said was, go to the doctors, get a checkup, get on your vitamin B shots and all that sort of stuff. And I stick with AA and I didn't do those things and I ended up uh, with the electric fleas and oh, severe withdrawals and in a coma and he found me and got me in the hospital and with his help and the help of his couple of his mates uh, over the next 12 months daily, they had to retrain me, you know, from, from body training to watching me and drying me off and clothing me and changing my bed sheets all the time, day and night. And because, you know, I had no control over my bowels. It was just the way, just the way it was for me after that um, coma, you know, electric fleas. And that was five months, six months all up, you know, four months in prison, two months outside of prison. It hit me, you know, the, uh, what do you call it? The side effects or the backlash, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, yeah, the withdrawals were severe for me, and um, it took him and his mates 12 months to bring me bring me back to earth and bring me, to see and to hear and to feel and to touch and to smell and what are socks and what are shoes and what is a hot water tap and a cold water tap. And, yeah, they really had to train me up like a, a two-year-old baby. And, uh, man, am I, do I appreciate that. And... Uh, well, one day I said, uh, I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to pay you back. And I said, no, what we do here, Doug, you got to do for others. You know, when anybody anywhere reaches out for help, then you are the mean to be there for them. And uh, you do what we've done for you to them, and uh, you'll be all right. Uh, i tell you what, all these years uh, involved with Alts and Honest, 31 years uh, in different parts of Australia, Sydney, Melbourne, Darwin, back to Melbourne, and now here in South Australia. It's amazing. Really amazing. 31 years. Wow. But it didn't start off easy, you know. I've heard people, you know, say they went through mild withdrawals, and some said they hardly went through any sort of withdrawals, and, well, good on you, because I, I, went, I must have experienced the worst kind of withdrawals that any, any alky could when they're coming off the drink. And, uh, yeah, if you're if if you seem to me as bad as what I was, get into a hospital, man. Or mind wherever you are. Uh, get into a hospital, get into a detox quick. And um, yeah, it's not pretty. Don't wait to, for it to hit you. Get in there quick. The sooner the better. But you know, with AA, with the steps and the traditions and how alcohol anonymous is structured. Honestly, if you've got a drinking problem and you think you could be an alcoholic, yeah, you know, the other thing I didn't know was that alcoholics have an allergy to alcohol. 
you know, some people in the world have allergies to peanuts or chocolates or raspberries or whatever it might be. We're allergic to alcohol. We can't have alcohol in our system at all. Not even in cakes or what What was the other one? Uh, in, in cough syrups or mouthwatches or, you know, read the label. If it says brewed or fermented, you know, um, stay away from it. You know, stay away from it and um, really check the labels out on, on any sort of medication. Really check the labels out and uh, because I paid a high price when I didn't one day and, you know, the doctor who gave me this strong medication for the influenza that I was suffering from, I was about seven years sober at the time. Man, that five mils knocked me out like a light. And I, the next day I went and spoke to her about it. And, oh, no, 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 I, I checked the internet and I checked this and no, 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 you're right. There's no alcohol in it. And I said, you're a liar. I said, this is what happened to me. I said, I blacked out in my own flat and I could have fell over and banged my head against the, the kitchen table and killed myself. Anyway, I went around the, the chemist and got the chemist to, to look through his big pharmacopoeia dictionary, whatever it was. I said, check these, like, what are these names? And he checked them out. He listened to me. He understood where I was coming from and he checked out those names on the bottle. He said, yep, they are all alcoholic-based preservatives. Oh, there you go. So I went back to the doctors and I, I screamed blue heaven in the face and I really lost my temper. Plus, I, I still had this influenza that knocked me around. But, uh, yeah, she, she apologised and uh, after that, I, I read every label. I really read every label. And I warn people, uh, you know, don't give me something if it's been dipped uh, in beer or wine. Don't give me a... For me, I've learned through the rooms of AA, if you're an alcoholic, or even if you don't know you are, get into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Check it out. Because your life can depend on it, really. And today I can say thank you to God for getting me into AA. Because, wow, I would have been a goner, for sure. But, uh, yeah, that's it for me. You know, I'm, I'm really, really grateful to be sober in the rooms of AA. I mean, free from the grip of this disease. That is a blessing. So, yeah, um, Dennis, thank you for asking me to share, and um, and I'm really privileged to do so.